everybody and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. Conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi Barno and I am your host. This week I got to meet up with Shell Cleave um, in Half Moon Bay, California. I had a lovely conversation with Shell about the NGO she just founded about a year ago called Sea Hugger. In this conversation, we discuss the reasons that led Shell to leave working as a freelance technical writer for Silicon Valley giants to start a non-profit from scratch. Shell has an amazing personality and it's incredible how much she and her fellow volunteers have achieved in so little time. Part of Sea Hugger's mission is to raise awareness about the terrifying impact that waste has on the ocean's wildlife. And at the end of the day, this absurd cycle affects our own health. So we discuss the conundrum of offering sustainable solutions in a disposable economy. In this episode, Shell explains what triggered her to leave the corporate world and to launch her own NGO, from the inception of the project to actually receiving all the legal documents to be legit. Today, Sea Hugger is a grassroots NGO based out of Half Moon Bay, but whose mission is to go global. Sea Hugger organises beach cleanups, nerdle counts, you'll find out what a nerdle is in, in the episode, school trips for youngsters, and they are also part of an ambitious campaign against the tobacco industry to actually force them to make cigarette butts more sustainable. And in fact, their petition has already gathered 130,000 signatures. So to add yours to the list, I'll, I'll put the petition in the show notes. Sea Hugger has sister partnerships with like-minded NGOs around the world. And of course, Shell isn't alone in this adventure. She's managed to attract a crowd of highly motivated volunteers from the surfing communities and inhabitants of Half Moon Bay. This is the story of how determination, ambition and passion can move mountains. So please welcome Shell Cleave. Hello, Shell, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? I'm very well. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're most welcome. Um, before we start, do you think you could introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes. My name is Shell Cleave. I live in Half Moon Bay, California, and Half Moon Bay is famous for the Mavericks big wave surf spot. Uh, Half Moon Bay is known for big waves, and I'm one of the <laughs> rare people here that is not excited in winter because <laughs> I prefer fun, easy little waves. But uh, this is the spot, though. If you like your adrenaline fix, this is the place. Absolutely. Yes, I remember doing a trip to uh, um, California, and my, our pilgrimage was to go and check out Mavericks with the kids and, and also go to Facebook and Apple. That was one of our sort of, <laughs> those sort of nerdy things to do. <laughs> so um, so were you were you born in Half Moon Bay, or did you move over at a later stage? No, no, I wasn't. Um, I was actually, I was born in Phoenix, but we moved to Southern California when I was quite young. And I have a very distinct memory of coming to the beach for the very first time. I'd grown up swimming in pools. I'm a fish. And uh, <laughs> my mom took me to the beach and I was just rolling in the sand because, you know, it was first time and quite young. But I thought to myself, what is this place? This is the coolest thing in the world. And I remember running up to the beach and saying to my mom, why have you never taken me here before? <laughs> and it just left such an imprint on me. The ocean was just 
this most beautiful resource and, and being in the water was the most thrilling experience I had ever had. And it stuck with me my entire life. That's amazing. So what brought you to Half Moon Bay? Well, my family and I relocated here uh, about 25 years ago. Um, Southern California is a great place, but, you know, it's, it's very big, not a lot of open space. It's crowded. And we just wanted a different experience for our family, a smaller community where people know your name and say hi and uh, where the waves are a little less crowded. <laughs> the coasts are, are quite beautiful here. Southern California has got spectacular beaches, but we have coasts, really beautiful, rugged coasts. So yeah. um, it's uh, a lot less crowded and there seems to be more natural preserves. We've got the Monterey Bay Sanctuary and the Fairlawns. Um, our whole Half Moon Bay here is also part of the, the sanctuary. It's quite vast. There's a lot of uh, marine mammals, whales that come through. We see dolphins and sea lions every day. Um, of course, there's a lot of bird sanctuaries because there's just less people and, and um, it's there's less, you know, of a human impact. So there's more space for, <laughs> for the creatures, but um, it's a spectacular place. We, we really love it. Wow. That's amazing. And um, so I believe that you are sort of a tech uh, veteran. Do you think you could tell us about your, your job in, in the tech industry? Yes, yes. I ran a technical documentation company um, for 25 years, sole proprietor, and I have worked for, I feel like I've worked for everybody. I've worked for the tech giants and I've worked for small startups and I enjoyed it. There was a lot of creativity. There was um, always something new to learn. I worked with fascinating people. And more importantly, I developed my skill to communicate, which I use constantly with Sea Hugger. Did you need to train for something in particular to become a technical writer? Yes, yes, I did. So I received a bachelor in English with a concentration in uh, technical and professional writing. And I had to do an internship and work under a team of really top-notch writers, which um, was a great experience. And then from there, I ended up just uh, opening my own business. We have three daughters that we raised. My husband traveled extensively. He's a, a bona fide rocket scientist. <laughs> and so he, he would be traveling throughout the world. And um, it was nice to have one of us home with the kids. And um, then it also gave me the flexibility to be able to travel with him. And we've been able to surf in multiple continents. So mm -hmm. it's, it, it was a great, a great career. But um, at some point, it was not enough. So yes, what didn't you like about your job that made you want to go all in and start a nonprofit? <laughs> well, it wasn't that I didn't like it. It was that something else called to me, and that's our beautiful mama ocean. <laughs> <laughs> I have been, we, like I said, we travel frequently. I have been seeing a greater presence of plastic pollution, both on top and under the water. We scuba dive and we were on a trip to Thailand, which was spectacular. And we were diving and there were, you know, plastic forks and things on the bottom of, of this, the sea. And it was, you know, very eye-opening. And then we were traveling into some of the outer islands and there were little mini 
Pacific garbage patches of bags and things. It's all kind of stuck together and spinning and growing. And, and it was just, it was so devastating because this was the most beautiful place and there wasn't a soul around. And I couldn't imagine how is this getting there? But, you know, the answer is us. So I, I, I felt the call and um, just decided to close my shop and uh, go all in with Sea Hugger. Brilliant. So could you, um, could you tell us exactly what um, Sea Hugger is all about? Sure. So actually, I should backtrack a little bit. When I really decided to change was on a family surf trip to a region of Mexico on the Pacific coast, Agrera region. And we made friends with some locals in a lineup. And they were telling us that their beach, which is at this surf breaks at the a river mouth and people upstream would throw all of their trash in the river and it would come down and every day deposit on the beach and every day they would clean it. And they had trouble getting a lot of the adults to want to come out and clean it every day because they had really much bigger concerns feeding their family. You know, it's a, it was a rather um, poor region with not a lot of economic opportunity. They relied on fishing, which is ironic. They're poisoning their waters and they rely on, on the ocean for their, their livelihood. But, um, they realized they needed to start with the kids. So they incentivized them by saying, if you go out every day after school and pick up all of the plastic on the beach, we will haul it to the nearest town, sell it. And with the proceeds, we will get you in the soccer league. Soccer's you know, national pastime there. And yeah, this region was so poor, they didn't have a soccer team. So they got them enrolled in a soccer league with their badges, uniforms, cleared a field, created a... a practice area for them got them all the gear and they literally transformed their region in a period of time Mm -hmm. they it became so popular they ended up helping other towns in the area and they had so much plastic that they bought a compressor and created their own recycling plant and they employed yeah they employed six men full-time and they taught everyone to think of plastic as a currency and then they created their own soccer um their own soccer like region you know it was it's really excellent so um and then also they taught the locals and the children about protecting the environment and the importance of um of recycling and so forth but unfortunately when china stopped purchasing plastic their their markets kind of crashed and that's kind of a sad caveat to that story but that's and that's happening everywhere and I can expand on that a little bit later but um that left such an imprint on me and I thought that model I want to replicate that model in other places and I kind of held on to that and came back to the states and continued my job and wasn't feeling satisfied and then one day I just said you know what I can't stand by any longer. I had gone out surfing and picked up a piece of plastic and stuck it in my wetsuit and came in and was changing and looking down in the parking lot and there's cigarette butts. And I just thought, I can't, I can't. So I, yeah, I, I told my husband what I wanted to do. Um, and with his encouragement, I shuttered my doors and, and I started Sea Hugger. And so, so Sea Hugger is a nonprofit 
organization. And originally, we wanted to replicate the model that that we um, experienced in Mexico. But mm-hmm. then what I kind of found out is there were a lot of needs here. Right. So we are kind of a twofold campaign. We do support private recycling centers in areas of the world that don't have recycling, which is mm-hmm. a greater portion of the world. And then we do a lot of education and outreach and cleanup here in our region and and our messaging reaches, you know, beyond just half the bay. We're we're kind of throughout California and and other coasts and, and not even coastal towns. We're there's it's all connected, you know, all the waterways wow. are are yes, connected. Absolutely. So every yeah, to, to stop people throwing plastic anywhere or into the rivers mm-hmm. and so it ends up on, mm-hmm. the, on the beach. Storm drains. Yeah, exactly. So how do you position yourself uh, vis-a-vis an organization like um, Surfrider, for example? Surfrider's been fantastic. We partner with them. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, a global um, NGO. So they've got a great reach, whereas we're kind of focused here and in a few other little spots. So we've got a great relationship with them. I'm super excited that uh, we are partnering with Surfrider San Francisco at a big event to count nurdles, which are the little plastic pellets that are the basis of plastic um, production. So we're doing a count. It's a global count. And um, so, yeah, what so I guess to answer your question, what's wonderful about this, the sustainable movement, plastic free movement, the, you know, the green movement is everyone's really supportive. Yeah. So we've been blessed with access to some other great organizations that have been willing to partner with us because we can extend our reach and yeah. our voices go farther. And, and sort of the mentality is there's there's room for more voices. What's the status in in terms of legal status of an NGO and how do you found one? Well, I was really fortunate in that I originally had a fiscal sponsor, um, a group, a group called Not For Sale. And they they are throughout the world, but they're located in San Francisco and they uh, help to stop human trafficking. So they took me under their wing. Um, I was able to use their um, tax exemption status and they mentored me and and you know gave me um just sort of a a leg up and that was huge and then they kicked me out of the nest (laughs) as you're ready to fly um which was scary but I believed in what I'm trying to do and the need was there and like I said I really feel like the ocean mama ocean I call her she you know spoke to me and just said uh, we need more people like you. We, I, you know, we're we're suffering. Our animals are yes. are being our oceans are being choked with plastic, and our animals are starving. And so I could no longer sit idly by. But um, be actually becoming a nonprofit organization here in the United States was quite complicated, and I did have to go through. Um, you know, we had to have a, a lawyer to help with all of the, the legalities and the forms and um, then of course pay money and wait, <laughs> but um, it's, they, they, the vetting process is quite strict. We, 
we were able to get that designation. And that was, I, I literally danced in the street when I got that letter <laughs> in my mailbox and was jumping up and down and squealing and the neighbors all thought I was crazy. <laughs> so it was great joy to be able to have that because now, you know, we're able to solicit tax exempt donations from large corporations and, and, and the, you know, regular people too, just, we, we, uh, we, we appreciate anyone's belief in what we're trying to do. Wow, that's that's really that's really interesting, actually. And so, how long have you have you been in existence um, and being able been able to receive donations? We're only a year old, wow. so um, yeah. And I just I was thinking back how much we've grown and the <laughs> reception that we've received, and it's been amazing. And the, the surf community has been instrumental. We have several young ambassadors that are up and coming uh, surfers, both big wave and, wow. and shortboard. And we've got a longboarder that surfs with his dog and the, <laughs> the World Dog Surfing Organization and just really great youth that believe in our cause and live the lifestyle. And um, we've got a local lifeguard who has a young family and he's the biggest champion of, of the ocean. And he um, is also a competitor in the Mavericks surf contest here. So I feel really blessed to have been able to partner with some great surfers. And then, like I said, the local surf community and the surf community as a whole mm-hmm. has been, they, they just want this. I mean, I, I really feel like surfers are the first line of defense for the ocean because we're in it. We see the impact. We mm-hmm. understand the ocean and, and we understand what threatens her and her moods and her seasons. And we mm-hmm. love her so fiercely. So I've been able to connect with a large group of surfers and they are 100 percent on board with what we're trying to do and have been, you know, really, really supportive and participated in our events and cleanups and buying some of our gear and repping us and putting their stickers on and sharing mm-hmm. the message. And it's, it's been just, it, it just makes me so happy to see that <laughs> there are so many people that care, that really care. And I think most people do, they just maybe don't realize the extent of the problem and that they are part of the problem. So yeah. we are really trying to get our messaging out. We use only positive. We don't shame people because, um, that doesn't work. You know, they'll be, they'll be like, you know, well, who are you to tell me I can't have a straw? I want two straws. You know, it's just <laughs> sort of human nature. So, so we want, we, we try to entice people and get people once they realize that the immense issue, you know, they realize that they can help. They can be a part of the solution and not yeah. the pollution. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. That's a really good so, slogan. <laughs> I didn't make it, but I like to use it. <laughs> yes. And so could you give us a rundown of the different campaigns you're running at the moment? Mm-hmm, of course. So we have a couple big ones. Right now we're really fighting microplastic, which people don't realize the extent and the dangers of microplastic. And microplastic is um, the small pieces of plastic that break down and they are ingested by the animals and, and, you know, even the small ones, the basis of the food chain. Microplastic has been found in um, bottled water, salt, seafood, of course. It's been found in beer, soil, and it's been found in human feces. So it's 
it's a you know it's, it's inside of us yeah. and it's it it absorbs toxins it's made from crude oil i don't know about you but i don't want to be <laughs> ingesting crude oil so um it's a big problem and and what happens is larger piece macroplastic when it's exposed to water sunlight heat um it starts breaking down and so that's what happens when plastic enters the the marine ecosystem mm-hmm. it starts breaking down into the microplastic so we acquired a nurdle trommel, which is this great device that you put sand into it and you, you sieve and get the, the sand um, passes through the fine mesh and you're left with the, the larger pieces of plastic and it can get down to, to, I think, five millimeters. So you can get the, or two millimeters, it's quite small. So you can get those small dangerous pieces of microplastic, which are virtually impossible to try and pick out by hand. Um, and then what the another great thing about it is it's a visual tool people look at it and realize oh my gosh I mean those aren't little bits of shell and organic matter it's it's styrofoam and things like it looks like little pieces of shell in a lot of ways especially if you're not paying attention so it's just a great teaching tool and we work a lot with kids so Mm -hmm. that's been instrumental we um we also have an anti-cigarette butt campaign that we have mm-hmm. on change.org. And I didn't realize this, but cigarette butts are made from plastic and they're the number one marine contaminant. Yeah, There's like wow. 4.6 trillion cigarette butts <laughs> um, smoked a year and 70% of those are littered. So it's really important. And they take up to 10 years to to degrade. So yeah. they're highly toxic and dangerous to animals, even dogs on the beach and, and people, of course. So um, we have an anti-cigarette butt campaign and we're trying to get enough signatures and then influence Philip Morris, which is the largest cigarette manufacturing company in the world, to either remove the butt mm-hmm. because it's actually not it's proven that it does not prevent, protect smokers at all. Um, so yes, in fact, what it does, it makes people smoke more because it makes the smoke smooth. So yeah, yeah. It gets people smoking more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever smoked something without a filter on it. It's pretty harsh. Um, so that's, that's a little ingenious way to get people to buy more cigarettes. Um, And then, yeah, so we want them to either remove the butt or come up with a biodegradable cigarette butt. Right, right. And, yeah, so they are responsible for, you know, the this toxic litter that's prolific and they need to to do something about it. So that's our goal with that. So so how how do you plan? um, How many signatures do you need to actually sort of go forward in in the in, in the lobbying? Well. I don't, I don't know yet. We want to get half a million. We want to get 500,000. We have 126,000 right now. That's really interesting. And it's really interesting the fact that um, the San Francisco um, city is involved in it as well. Um, in fact, I was lucky enough to see a conference by uh, the waste management director or something like that. And it was really interesting the way San Francisco has actually managed to turn waste into valuable and um, and to upcycle most of the waste that's produced by the city. Um, what are your thoughts on on their policies? Is that is that something that you're seeing as well in Half Moon Bay? Well, unfortunately, not. It's not here as much in Half Moon Bay. We have um, they've done a great job with composting. That's the thing mm-hmm. that's really impressed me. And when I went to through the recycling center and watched the process, I was shocked. 
the amount of trash that or waste that we produce, even outside of their really great uh, composting um, program, but just the amount of recycles, it was huge. The tipping floor, they call it, it was where they tip the trucks, was packed. And they said 38 buses a day worth of trash come in there a day. That's how much they process. And the conveyor belts have to run at a really high speed in order to process all of these materials. And the first pass is done by hand and they, the workers will take any plastic bags and they go straight to landfill. They're dangerous for the recycling. Yes. They get caught in the machinery. So, and there's no market for them. So they go straight to landfill phase of recycling for the plastic involves these long black conveyor belts and the, all of the materials runs, like I said, really, really fast. And there's optics that can view. And if there's any black plastic, like a lot of these coffee cups are now black. And they, the lids are not, they can't see them. Of course, yeah, the op- because they're the same color as the conveyor belt. Yes. Yes. It can't determine a black piece of plastic from the black conveyor belt. So none of those get recycled. So... And the second issue is anything small. So your lids, your straws, your stirs, your toothbrushes, you know, anything like that. It's not, it's not detected. And so those go straight to the landfill. Yeah, it was really eye-opening. And so that sort of eventually when it, if it does get to sea, it turns into microplastics and then nurdles mm-hmm. and things like that. Just to go. Yeah, to go back to sort of the Sea Huggers um, DNA, have you got other campaigns going on as well? Yes, yes, we do. I'm really excited. We will be receiving soon our Sea Bin, and it's a device about the size of a, a large trash can that actually goes in the marina, our local marina's Pillar Point Harbor. And so you affix it to a floating dock, and it cycles the water through, and it's able to capture microplastics, macroplastics, and marine oil. So it's a wonderful tool to protect the health of the marina, which is so much plastic gets trapped in there and it doesn't have, you know, the, the tides, the, the, the water flow. So a lot of times marinas have a lot of stagnant water and, and, um, but yet they're home to a lot of wildlife. So it's really, the health of marinas is really important. So we're excited about that. We've bought that uh, purchase that and, and we're gifting that to our local harbor. And the cool thing about that is, again, it's a teaching tool. So we're going to have a lot of children. We're going to have field trips. We have local organizations that will come and tour and see what it does. And then we're going to um, weekly categorize all of the contaminants and see, you know, what is the biggest threat. And then, of course, the goal is to see those decline because it will be filtering constantly and then we might determine that we need more this Mm -hmm. is a pilot program but we're really excited about that and um our our vision for our town is is to be a model town Mm -hmm. that we not only have this beautiful resource of this mama ocean right here but we protect it we respect it we teach respect to people that come to visit our beaches we have signage we have beach cleanups we have a presence of people that are taking care of our waste and being responsible for that we have educational programs for schools out of the area that can come over and learn about 
the plastic pollution epidemic and the dangers that it poses to the health of the ocean and ultimately to humans as well. Mm -hmm. So we want to be an educational source and a model that other cities can also replicate too. So I just feel really fortunate to live in a community that that does care. Yeah, absolutely. And so how many people do you have working um, within the structure? So I'm the only full-time person and I've yet to take a salary. <laughs> We're putting everything back in, but we have a huge team of volunteers. And then we have a couple contractors that we pay, wonderful photographer, social media guru. That's really important. Like I said, Instagram has been a great resource to met a lot of like-minded people and really supportive people. And yeah. it's a great way to connect and, and to learn of, um, all of these, there's so many people that are coming up with great creative solutions. Yes. I now am, can buy virtually anything I need in a responsible packaging, or I've switched, you know, to shampoo bars and mm. bar soap and cloth napkins and all of these things instead of this constant consumable mentality to, to a reusable mentality. And I've made a lot of those connections through Instagram. So that's been really great. But, um, but so I do have someone that, that helps us with our, our social media. That's, that's a big, a, a big emphasis, uh, and a big, uh, a lot of time commitment there, but, um, mostly it's all volunteer. And then of course we have our, our board, a wonderful group of people that are furthering our cause and helping with fundraising and so forth. Um, we've got a grant writer of, again, all volunteer, just wonderful people that really, really care, um, about this epidemic that we've caused and, yeah. and want to be a part of the solution. That is so cool. That is really amazing. And what's amazing as well is how, you know, this whole adventure, creating this NGO. I mean, the learning curve must be amazing. Um, <laughs> like yeah. all the things that you have to learn to do and learn to manage. And then, and what's uh, mm. also to come back to the, to the list, to, to, instead of um, trying to pick up our trash to actually sort of think about not trashing in the first place um, exactly. is really interesting. And on your website, uh, I really um, encourage our listeners to have a look because you have a list of a sort of it's a sort of shopping list of really really sustainable products to to buy um, that mm -hmm. replace all the everyday products like toothpaste and toothbrushes and um, you know all sorts of things that you never think are in plastic are going to end up in the landfill or in the oceans but in fact um there are some amazing alternatives so uh, um, exactly yeah yes yeah. <laughs> yeah so we do we sell a few things uh to raise money for our programs mm -hmm. just you know water bottles and we have these great coffee cups that are actually made from bamboo and some bamboo utensils and then we have some cool um bags and purses that are actually made from recycled uh, plastic bags. Yeah, the, I saw the them. Group, they're amazing. Yeah, they're beautiful. The group in South Africa that we support, it's it's one of the things that they do. Um, so we help sell those as well. But then I have a blog and it's called um, Plastic Free Made Easy. Mm -hmm. And it's on our website, which is uh, seahugger.org. Mm -hmm. And in that list, like you mentioned, I've got everyday items that sometimes you don't think about that we've got alternatives that are responsibly made, not plastic packaged, and they are sustainable companies, you know, yeah. small companies where their, their supply chain is 
is vetted and they how they manufacture and how you know there's sort of the circular economy where they're exactly. not they're not designed to create waste. You know, waste is definitely a design flaw. So, um, like, I didn't realize, you don't think about it, toothpaste tubes. No, they're absolutely never recycled. And how many of those do you use and how many people are on this planet? So, uh, you know, there's these toothpaste bits come in this great glass jar and refills come to you in a cardboard box. And um, they're great for traveling because, you know, you can't have... Uh, the liquid when you yeah, travel. So yeah. a lot of these shampoo bars, the soaps, all these things that come in the bar form that don't really require any packaging are great for traveling. Yes. So I, I'm really impressed by a lot of people and their creative ways to to combat this issue. And I love the circular economy and how can we just plain create less waste? Mm, and yeah. that's the bottom line. And I, I can say I'm kind of channeling my grandmother. <laughs> come, <laughs> come back to cloth napkins. And there's something very rewarding about that rather than just being in this disposable lifestyle. And I get it. Like we're busy. And what's happened is all of these things have been created because we need this convenience-based lifestyle because we're so busy. But uh, you can find a few minutes a day to, you know, to throw those napkins in the washing machine. I don't, I don't dry them and you can reuse them several times. And, and actually really what I think is that I've actually saved time in my life because of these reusables, I don't have to keep going to the store and buying them again. Exactly. Yes. So that's fantastic. So, um, yeah, um, yeah. So do you have ongoing events, um, that you run, uh, on a weekly or monthly or, I don't know, bi-monthly basis? <laughs> yes, we do. So we have our monthly beach cleanup mm -hmm. here in Half Moon Bay. And then uh, we partner with, like I said, some other organizations. Then we do a lot of uh, classroom lectures, but then there's some community events that we're involved in. All of this is on our website. We do support two private recycling groups, one in Mexico and one in South Africa, and we hope to grow that. And actually, one of my goals for 2019 is to come up with an, an app, a phone app, where people, you know, I kind of, we're trying to create a Sea Hugger community, a community of like-minded people Brilliant. where they can connect and they can say, hey, I'm, I'm at, on vacation on this island, I'm surfing here, and there's a you know, huge trash issue if you're here you know come and pick up some trash while you're on your vacation or I'm I'm at this location and they're this great sustainable um cafe you know let's support them and, and just just a way to sort of spread that information and support organizations and, and small businesses and cafes and things that are that are you know doing things the the right way the, the sustainable a, way that's yeah that's a good idea and creating a real community um mm -hmm. across the mm -hmm. borders that's brilliant so um i guess we could um we could move on to the surfing chapter and i was mm. curious mm -hmm. to um ask you when you so when you were working in tech um mm. did you get to surf very often well, I did because I work out of my house mm -hmm. and, you know, I live really near the, the water and I can actually look out and kind of see is it no. south swell, you know, <laughs> kind of have a little, little view. Um, so ironically, I surf less now. <laughs> I know the feeling when you're starting up something new, it's oh. definitely time consuming. 
It is. I work I, around 50 plus hours a week and now we have events on weekends. And so I'm, I'm going to have to try and carve out more time because I definitely <laughs> need that. And when I get to commune with Mama Nature, I, I am lifted up and I'm motivated to keep the fight going and, um, and replenished. And so it's really important to, to maintain, um, you know, my communing with, with mama ocean. (laughs) Yeah. There's definitely (laughs) something about the sort of daily medicine of going in the, in the water Mm -hmm. and it just sort of makes you feel so much better. I fully believe it. And, and then now we have the proof. We all knew that. And those of us that, <laughs> that, that surf, we, we live it. So, um, yeah, I just finished reading the book, the blue mind, and it mm-hmm. talks just about even the color blue and being in the proximity of, of water, how that changes the brain chemistry mm-hmm. and, and uh, your gives you, you know, a calming sensation. So, um, the ocean for me, it gives you the calming, but it also gives you that exhilaration. I mean, yes. you, when you catch that wave or even just duck diving under <laughs> a big old freaking bomb, you come up and you feel alive, you know, I just that's, love that's it. That's such a lovely description. In fact, I was going to ask you, what did you feel <laughs> like when you, when you caught your first wave, when you actually managed to stand up and, and ride a wave? Do you remember? Oh yeah, I was quite young in Huntington Beach, um, and just glee, you know that <laughs> permagrin I call it. Just you just can't even believe it. Well, that's, that's love. That's lovely words. Um, I wondered if um, before we finish the interview, you could finish a few sentences for me. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite it's quite short. It's uh, the first one is I love. Mm. I love. <laughs> How much time do you have? You said <laughs> short. Uh, so many things I love. I guess we'll just start with um, I love my family. I love this body that I have that I can go out and do all these great things and have these experiences. I love the ocean, this planet. There's so much beauty on this planet, not just mm. in the water. And um, I love people and our optimism and I love for me I say God but other people it's goddess the universe Mm -hmm. just the higher power that that gives us so much and gives us hope and and has just created so much joy and um I love dogs chocolate yeah I, I, I have a lot of loves um what's about I miss I miss oh I miss that my kids aren't little anymore oh, yeah, I know. time time it, it, I miss yeah I miss people that have I've lost and I miss I don't I guess I try not to focus on that too much. <laughs> There's so much good, but yeah, 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 I miss pastimes and people. That's beautiful. How about mm-hmm. I? I wish. I wish. Ah, I wish that people would care a little bit more about their actions, love a little bit more be a little kinder 
Mm. Um, there's a lot of people on this planet and we have the ability to create great joy and great good if we all, you know, have sort of a common goal. So I guess there's so much fraction and, and hatred going on right now. I wish we would all find our commonality and our humanness and focus on that. <laughs> That's beautiful. And the last one is um, I want. I want. <laughs> I want there to be no plastic left in the ocean. Not a, <laughs> not a single piece. <laughs> here, here. I agree too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, that was lovely. It was a lovely interview. We're, wrap, we're about to wrap up. So, Shell, okay. I, I wondered if you could um, just give us the rundown on how to get hold of you um, mm. and, mm-hmm. you know, the different sort of social media platforms that you're we're likely to find you on and um, website addresses and blogs and um, anything that we could that could inspire us to do the same as you maybe locally in um, in one of our regions. Yes, definitely. So that's actually something we're working on right now, a sort of best practices for your own beach cleanup, um, which we will have on our website, which is www.seahugger.org. We are also on Instagram, C underscore hugger, on Facebook, Seahugger. And uh, there's email addresses and even a phone number. We, we have people that answer the phone <laughs> if you want to get in touch. We are looking forward to growing our community. We, we That's our goal is to have a Sea Hugger community of people, you know, like I said, like-minded people that care, creative people, have new ideas, um, that, and just just kind of sharing our, our love of, of the ocean and, and how we can, can grow that and grow the message and get the message out there to people beyond just, um, you know, the, the surf community and the coastal people. Yeah. And, um, beyond, beyond volunteering, can, can people donate? Of course, of course. (laughs) (laughs) little or a lot um and also you can purchase some of our gear which is a great way because it's not only just donating you're you're being a part of the solution you're 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 having that reusable i say like that coffee cup that's like that's that's says so much about you that's cooler than you know a a designer purse or an iPhone, like having that in your hand. So, um, yes, you can, you can actually start making those changes in your, in your lives and mm-hmm. all the proceeds go to our programs. So, um, we have that, that available as well. That's brilliant. Well, Shell, um, I think we're wrapping up. How do you feel? Exhilarated. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to, to share, about Sea Hugger, and we hope listeners out there want to join our community. Well, it was wonderful talking to you, and it's an amazing project, and I really wish you all the best. Um, Thank and you. And for the community to grow and to, um, and and for it to expand overseas, that would be so so interesting and so exciting. So um, definitely, all the listeners that are out <laughs> there, um, uh, just ha- have a look at the websites and see see what you guys are up to. Great. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, see you soon, Shell, and come back if you have anything, you know, you want to want to promote or you want to um, to talk about. Just don't hesitate. Uh, just Great. Thank you. I'd love to. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Shell. Bye. See you soon. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ciao.
I really enjoyed this episode and um, we all know the impact plastic is having on our environment. It's just a question of how long will it take us for us to change our habits? What's really encouraging in this episode is that after my conversation with Shell, I felt more uplifted than I usually feel when talking about the environment. It's nice to know that there are plenty of alternatives to our disposable junk and maybe we should all start thinking about about how we're going to be disposing of our plastic before we actually buy it. To get in touch with Shell, you can reach out to her on www.seahugger.org. You can reach out to her on Facebook and on Instagram at C underscore hugger. In fact, all the links are in the show notes and you can find them in your podcasting app or on my website, theoceanriderspodcast.com. Next week, there will be no Ocean Riders podcast. I'm taking a bit of a breather and I will be back with you in two weeks time for a new episode. Um, Maybe one day I'll have a team of minions to help me put together a few best of episodes. In fact, if you like this podcast, please share the love, talk to your family, your friends and spread the links all over your social networks. It would be really encouraging and such a pleasure to actually spread the words of my of my wonderful guests. To connect with me, um, if you want to be on the Ocean Riders podcast or if you have any comments, um, it's hello at theoceanriderspodcast.com. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at the Ocean Riders Podcast. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and um, also, obviously, you can come and come and connect with me on theoceanriderspodcast.com. There'll be an illustrated article of this podcast on medium.com. So all the, um, in fact, to get hold of me, I've got one single link to remember. It's a link tree. So it's linktra, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash The Ocean Riders Podcast. Thank you ever so much for being such wonderful listeners. And thank you, Shell, for joining me on this episode. I really hope that Sea Hugger is going to grow and grow and grow. Take care, everybody. Have fun and enjoy the waves. And I'll see you in two weeks time. Ciao.